Hey yo everybody! Welcome to episode 15 of the Joey and Amanda podcast. I'm Joey. And I'm Amanda. We are very excited to share today's episode with you all. We had a great conversation with a great filmmaker. Uh, his name is Max Joseph. Maybe you've seen him on Catfish or you've seen his movie We Are Your Friends or one of the unbelievable short films he's made um, throughout his life. Um, so... Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, enjoy our awesome conversation with an awesome guy, Max Joseph. Your dad always had this amazing, hilarious laugh. This like infectious laugh that like, and he'd laugh at my like my he and my dad would always be like they are going always back doing and forth. bits yeah, yeah. just like you and, and, and I think your dad is now moving that over to me and he we definitely are, every time he hangs out with you guys he's like Joey's so great <laughs> like we go back and forth he loves my humor I'm like great <laughs> we do we we really we really do bits but he's carrying over a bit that he did with my dad yeah. and he's doing it with me now it's, it's hilarious it's, fun. Yeah. it's so fun yeah. Um, but I'm, this is but really. Your dad good. was this like is... a major. Yeah, we should get into this. Your dad was but, like a major inspiration to me, because like he was like doing creative stuff. Like, you know what I mean? Like my parents yeah. worked on Wall Street and were like finance people, and yeah. David was like making things out of like like foam yeah. core and like yeah, and then dr- the way he drew and like everything yeah. was always so creative. And there was this like and Sesame Street and Ninja Turtles. So there's always this like, I mean, I definitely got. The bug yeah. from him. Well, this is a perfect place to start because okay, I was okay. gonna I was gonna, you know, bring this up because it's something that we're really interested in and in talking to people sure, about sure. the passion and how they found it and then yeah. what it was like pursuing it. So this is a perfect place to start. So it really was that was really are we, are we recording? Yeah, we're going. Okay, great. <laughs> that was that really like the um Yeah. I mean, I was living in I mean, I was like two or three and yeah. like living in um Greenwich Village yeah. in this apartment building called the printing house and your dad David um my cousin David lived right. above we should us say, we should say because I always okay. assume people know that Max and I are related we're yeah. we're cousins you're like my second cousin which is I feel like I know the age-wise I like <laughs> fell in a weird place between all my cousins like I was like right. kind of the youngest Right, because you and my dad are first cousins, but you're what, ten, at least 20, fifteen or so, twenty years, years younger. younger. Yeah, how old is he now? Fifty-five. Okay, four fifty-five. Yeah, he's about Lisa's age. So yeah, I'm like fifteen years. Yeah, younger than yeah. Him. So yeah, that's so a, David like was a full-grown man, <laughs> like cool and athletic looking, and like he <laughs> lived above us in the same building, and he would come over for meals occasionally yeah. and and I knew that he was doing he, he was a puppeteer and worked a lot with Jim Henson mm-hmm. in children's television workshop which is Sesame Street and and I knew that because right. I was that target audience right and and it was insane I mean like that was the first big mind fuck can we curse yeah that was like the first big mind fuck is like whoa I like television and this guy makes things on television like right. that's there's a link there yeah and like right. i don't know my parents always took work so seriously like uh-huh. what they did from a young age like i kind of 
felt like that would be boring Mm -hmm. or like this just wasn't that exciting. And then like David would come in and like he was always working on something cool and like you'd go to his apartment and there would like be puppets right around and I don't know. I mean, that was like kind of he was the first person from a young age. It was like, oh, you can actually just have fun for the rest of your life. Right. That's That's, amazing that you had that. Yeah, it really is. I mean, like he was like making like puppets out of uh, uh, cigarette boxes. Oh yeah, I remember that. I remember like I remember all. Yeah, yeah, he's like uh, yeah, I remember that guy. He taught me how to like draw like the Ninja Turtle like face, Uh like kind of the but the new Ninja, not like the cartoon one, but like from the movie. So yeah, I don't know if everyone knows this about. Okay, go ahead, David Rudman, your dad, my cousin. Mm -hmm. So he 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 was a puppeteer for. Jim Henson yep. and Children's Television Workshop, which is Sesame Street. He did, he came to do Cookie Monster. Yeah, right? like 20, 20 years ago. Right, yeah. But that was still like, he wasn't doing it yet when I met him. But he was also oh, yeah. he was doing The Swedish Chef. Uh-huh. And then, uh, well, Baby Bear. And then Baby Bear, recent. that was after my time. Right. But then beyond that, if yeah. that wasn't cool enough, <laughs> he also did all the pup- puppetry for Donatello in the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles That's movie. So right. Which, like, you have to understand, like, that... I was in the, the fever. I yeah. was in, like, the first wave of yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fever. And, like, the fact that David was going to be, like... Now, it took... He, a, he did the... You know, he did the voice originally. And then they brought in... Like, Corey Feldman. Yeah. Yeah. And I apparently, Corey did... The exact same takes that my dad he he would he be stole, smart to he completely stole his performance completely. So one thing I had to contend with when I was a kid, telling everyone that my cousin was Donatello uh-huh. in the movie, is that there'd be like, wait a minute, like we all know that that was like some Japanese right. like stunt stunt guy, guy in right. the suit. I'm like, well, he he's not in the suit. <laughs> he's controlling the face. Well, what do you mean he's controlling the face? Yeah. I'm like, well, the face has to move with like animatronics. So he's the one who's doing like the facial yeah. movements. And they're like, uh-huh. You know, like you yeah. see their <laughs> eyes go crossed. <laughs> right. So it it I had to like it took a lot of describing. Yeah. Um how do you and, explain that to a kid? I mean, you yeah, don't figure right. that out if you're not in that world until you're much older. Right. right. So, like, right. I was the one breaking it to them, like, how <laughs> things worked. So, it, like, came with a burden, a little bit, the burden <laughs> of explanation. Really to some people, that's like, you know, saying Santa Claus is, right. isn't real. Wait, and just while we're on the subject of yeah. how cool your dad is. So, like, <laughs> beyond that, he was also in Labyrinth. Yeah. Which is, like, another... Yeah. incredible feat. Well, that was feat. right at your age. That was like yeah. huge. Was he huge. was like one of the kind of chorus, like yeah. background guys, like the little like gremlins that were in like the cradle. Yeah. Like when Jennifer Connelly like looks in and like. Yeah, because he was really young. I mean, he was probably my age now yeah. when that, when that uh, came out. Yeah. Yeah. He was, yeah. So awesome. So he was always this like super cool guy. He gave yeah. me like the shirts, like the crew shirts from Teenage Mutant Ninja <laughs> yeah, Turtles. Right. He was living right. in New York for a while, so he and your mom, Karen, would always, like, we would go to Jewish holidays together, like, they would, there was a lot of dinners and stuff, but yeah, I totally, like, I worshipped your dad, like, he yeah. was, like, my role model, like, to the nth degree, Yeah. so him being into showbiz mm-hmm. and just being so creative was definitely, like, the first thing that um, hooked me, and, and it actually literally connected me to showbiz because 
when I was six, he got me on Sesame Street. Okay. I had gone to visit him yeah. on Sesame Street like yeah. once or twice, and I met Frank Oz, yeah. who did... Wow. He was doing Cookie Monster at the time, probably. And he was doing... Was he doing... He wasn't doing Kermit, but he was doing no. like everyone else. Yeah, he. I mean, he did a lot of... A yeah, lot so Frank he, Oz... He was Cookie. He was Cookie probably when you went. He was the guy. Yeah. And I just like... Just seeing how the, the puppets, Muppets moved and... And going there was really cool. But then he actually got me on an episode. Yeah. And I still have it. You're running around in yeah. the back. Oh I was like gosh. one of the kids like yeah. running. And I remember shooting it. Mm -hmm. And like it was shot over like two or three days. Yeah. And I mean, there I, it was it was the coolest thing ever. Yeah. So that was the coolest thing ever. And that was <laughs> I was six then. Yeah. So, that, so, so you there. You had yeah. the bug then. And, and did you start making things or start thinking about making things on your own? I, when did that happen? So I think I wanted to be an actor for a okay. really long time. Uh -huh. Like starting from around then. I even like, I don't know whether it was your dad or not, but like I started auditioning for movies when I was really young. Like I auditioned for Radio Flyer. Oh. I didn't know this. And I got I really, this. I got great. really close. Uh -huh. Like, I don't know exactly how close I was, but I think I was pretty close. And, and the role went to Elijah Wood. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. How did your parents feel about you wanting to be an actor? I don't think, I think they were like, they weren't pushing it really hard, yeah. but they also like weren't like d discouraging me either. They, right. they seemed somewhat like impartial. Um, they would have supported you no matter what you yeah. said you wanted to do. But it's funny, like when one, like when you grow up in New York, like everyone, every kid like has some stupid, crazy, ambitious. Yeah, like, like I want to be a shortstop right. for the Yankees. Right. Yeah. <laughs> everyone wants to be right. something crazy when they grow up. I definitely wanted to be an actor because I started auditioning and because of your dad and like that experience on Sesame Street. Yeah. It was like, yeah, that seems great. That seems like really, that seems like a lot of fun. Right. And then I, or, and, I went to another school and in third grade, I was always in the plays. Like I always did okay. the, the, the musicals and stuff. And then in third grade, I actually like directed a, I directed a play that I was in. Oh a friend of mine, grade? well, a friend of mine wrote <laughs> That's it. That's amazing. A friend of mine wrote it. What? He okay, was, so you're a prodigy. No, Wait, no, no. My friend was a prodigy. Third grade? Yeah. You wrote a play? So there was like, you know, in, in high school, there's like the one act plays sometimes. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. seniors direct and so my friend had written this play uh -huh. that was like based on the honeymooners the tv show uh -huh. with jackie gleason uh -huh. and and art carney and um it was like it was still it was an old show then yeah but my friend had like a very old soul and he was kind of a, he was a genius he's he's out there somewhere i was about to ask you are you still yeah, who is? Yeah. mark herman okay i mean he's out there somewhere i tried to friend him friend him on facebook a few years ago but he never like friended back just oh. kind of sad. Come on, Mark. But um, he wrote this play, and I directed it, and I also was in it. And it was I kind of directed it the way I had been directed in in the plays. I was in Oliver, like the musical Oliver, which was the big yeah. senior production, and like oh. they needed kids in it, and so right. I was like following the Artful Dodger, right, and like singing the songs, and that was also like a total mind fuck. Yeah. Like that was like the coolest thing ever, too. Yeah. So every time, like, I was on stage or on camera, like, it was the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Um, and then I directed this this one-act thing, like, kind of just mimicking all the things I'd seen the directors tell me. And I was also, I had a little role in the play mm. itself, too. 
and an agent was in the audience for like a ch- child agent. Oh, wow. This is New York, yeah. I guess. Right, right, right. And she zeroed in on me and came up to me afterwards. I'm in third grade. This She's is, like, this oh is unbelievable. <laughs> this I know. Is and she was like, have you ever thought about like acting yeah. and auditioning for stuff? And I had already kind of like done that a few years ago. Yeah, right. Like once or twice. So uh, she represented me and would like fax us sides right. for auditions. And right. I would go. Now, both my parents worked but my dad was really good friends with this cab driver, mm-hmm. this eccentric cab driver in New uh, York. That, that checks out. Yeah, that sounds like your dad, yeah. <laughs> and, he, and so the cab driver would take me after school to these auditions. Oh, wow. And I never got anything. Right. And then I was also, like, afraid of getting something because if I did, then I'd have to, like, leave school for, right. like, weeks on end, and then I would be behind, and then, I, I don't know. Which is yeah. a profound thing for a third grader to be thinking even about. Even your parents. I, I wouldn't even, like, sleeping over sometimes at that age because I'd miss my parents. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely miss my parents when I slept over at other places. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, I always got picked up at midnight. <laughs> I sometimes, yeah. That I sometimes to had me too. <laughs> <laughs> Like I changed my mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or there was like a mean older yeah. brother. Oh, yeah, and I couldn't hang. I'd call my mom like, "Mom, <laughs> you come pick me up." Um, so yeah, so it started like that, and then I was oh, I auditioned a bunch, and then I was always in the school play, and I was kind of like an actor. Like I always like I want to be an actor when I grow up. I want to yeah. go to Yale Drama School. Yeah, and then like you start telling everyone you want to be an actor, and and occasionally someone will be like. Ooh, like yeah. that's not gonna, you know, like, hard to, yeah, that's gonna right. be really hard. Right. It's not gonna work out for you. You know how many people want to be actors? Like, you know, and yeah. there's a lot of like you get a sense of discouragement. Mm-hmm. And then and then it was like, well, if I directed, uh-huh. maybe I'd have more control over than just being an actor. Right. And then kind of like around middle school, I really got into like creative writing too. Uh-huh. So I was, like, doing creative writing and acting, but, like, I heard acting was going to be really tough, and I had done some directing, and I really, and I and I was familiar with it from being an actor, uh-huh. and then I went to, like, acting school on the weekends. I was in a class, like, Lee Strasberg Acting School in New York. Oh, my like, God. Weekend, I was in a class with Scarlett Johansson. Oh, wow. For, like, two years, yeah, what, what, on the weekend. What age were you around? I was 14, and she uh-huh. was 12. Do you remember her in... Or thir- I was 13 and she was 11. You, was, did, you, did she like stand out? Oh, yeah. It? yeah she, no, everyone yeah. knew. Yeah. Every, she was already like, she she's great. She hadn't been in the Horse Whisperer yet, which uh-huh. was kind of like the big breakthrough big role. Break. But yeah. like everyone knew that she was like it, mm-hmm. that she was like going somewhere. Yeah. yeah. She would also, she was also like fully committed. Like a lot of us were like right. going on the weekends and she was like already living right. like every day like an actor. Right. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It, somewhere along the line, like acting, um, creative writing. I was also a big computer nerd. How mm. old are you at this point? 11, 12, 13, okay. 14. I was still young. Yeah. Man. Because wow. in New York, like, so... I was a director and actor. I, I but think about that. You really had a lot of experience already. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, maybe I was 13, just being was in... Like, all I cared about was like, you know... Girls and friends and Basketball. baseball. And yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah. I definitely wasn't going to be an athlete. I mean, like, that... I, I was playing, like, I played tennis and, and basketball, but, like, I, I wasn't the best. And, yeah. and so, like, that dream of being, like, a professional athlete yeah, was, like, kind of off the table. Uh-huh. So, 
no, this whole acting thing was so cool. And what was also cool about the school that I went to was that like all the cool kids, including like the cool upper schoolers, like were always in the plays. Mm -hmm. And so there wasn't this like dichotomy of like, like the actor kids and like the, the jock kids. Right. The way they're, and then when I went to high school, there was. Right. And that was weird for me. Right. Because like at my previous school, all the cool kids were in the place. Right. And so that was the first time. And also like when I went to this high school, the basketball uh, tryouts Mm -hmm. overlapped or like, oh yeah, overlapped with the play tryouts. So you literally couldn't couldn't do both. You couldn't do both. Right. And that also was like, I was like, what? Yeah. You like, why can't? What's going on here? Because to them, it, they would be like, yeah, there's nobody, nobody's going to cross over. So right. who, who cares? Yeah, right. And I kind of feel like that's the way it is at most places. It's yeah. just like those two worlds are totally separate and mm-hmm. never the twain shall meet. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just lucky to go to a kind of a artsy middle, slower and middle school that had a high school attached where like all the cool kids were in the plays yeah. or... Or playing sports, and yeah. like there was never like any differentiation. I never knew that that's, about you. That's that is that's amazing. Yeah, so I was always bragging about your dad <laughs> and like my connection to him. Do you know that my cousin is? But your crew—that was a pretty big deal because your crew at that time was they were so in that world. Totally, you know. Yeah, so that that was basically it. I mean, I was really a computer nerd. Um, so then you go to, then you get to high school. So then I got to high school. Did you stay in it or did yeah, you? Yeah, I was, I was on both the basketball team and in the play. Like uh-huh. I made it work. Okay. Um, and I got really into the acting world there. Do you remember school. the plays that you did oh, yeah. in high school? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, know, I remember them too. I, yeah. yeah. It was kind of like it was yesterday. Yeah. I'm still friends with my, uh, drama teacher. Like uh-huh. we, oh, we, we like so work great. on projects together still. Like he's a great writer. Yeah. So... I'm still, yeah, I'm still in touch with him. Yeah. Um, and I did that, and the computer nerd stuff mm-hmm. actually led me to editing really early. Because, mm-hmm. like, putting together something you shot, mm-hmm. I don't know, like, when I crossed... I read this book. A friend of mine who was really into film and was also an actor in the mm-hmm. plays with me and was one of my first friends at my new high school gave me this book for my... 15th birthday uh-huh. called Rebel Without a Crew, uh-huh. which is by uh, Robert Rodriguez, okay. who did like Desperado and, yeah. and, and Dust Till Dawn, yeah. and now Spy Kids and yeah, Sin right. City right. And, and this new movie that just came out. Like, a, not, it was like the shoot, I'm forgetting the name of it. I know it's I know like that CGI about. movie. It was like all the posters were just yeah. up. Um, it said, It'll come to me in a second, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, he he wrote this amazing, it was a journal based on this movie he made called El Mariachi. And he made the movie for like $7,000. Oh, wow. And it was like a feature film. And it was, and, and the the book like was like day by day told you like the, the process of making it. And you could, and he was so creative and that like he just awesome. kind of did it all by himself. And like there wasn't a big crew. It was just him. And like he just figured out how to do it all and, and, and he wrote it down, and like that, when I read that, like everything crystallized. I was right. like, wait a minute, like I can pull in the creative writing. Right. My, I was already always like a film nerd. Like I would just sit home and watch movies like all weekend with my friends. And and so, yeah, reading that book, it was like, okay, the, the acting, 
the directing, mm-hmm. the computer nerdness of like the edit of what editing was turning into. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And and the kind of cameras and stuff, which my dad always had like a video camera. Yeah. Um, and we when were. Did you have like, your first computer? Well, I. Yeah, probably around that same time too. It was a like mm-hmm. gateway two thousand. Mm-hmm. So it was like, yeah, that was probably around eleven or ten or eleven, something like that. Um, and non-linear computer editing was just mm-hmm. like kind of coming into being. Um, yeah, like what software? Well, Final Cut imagine. Pro, <laughs> Final Cut Pro one came out when I was eighteen. Okay, where that was the first time oh. you could really like edit on your Mac. Okay, and then like spit out like something you put together. Yeah. But before then, literally starting in like seventh or eighth grade, I was like, got used to editing from VHS to VHS. Oh my God. I don't I don't even know. Yeah. You just hooked up two VHS, uh, like, you know, uh, yeah. What are they called now? VCRs. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, Right. You hooked up two VCRs and one had like a blank tape in it. And the other one had your raw footage on it. Uh Right. And then you would like, hit play and pause and hit play and pause. And then like at the same time you'd hit play on one and then record on the other. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. This is amazing. I am so, I feel so grateful to have missed that, (laughs) that stage. It was really fun though. Yeah. It was also fun because like not everyone had the technology like readily in their hand. Like Mm -hmm. now everyone is a fucking filmmaker. Yeah. Right. You know, it's like it's so everyone easy. has a phone it's and so like, easy yeah. to do right. It. But then like, you know, you had to be a little crafty. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's true. And so like, yeah. And then putting the music on it was like its own oh, right. thing. Yeah. So it was tricky and like you had to yeah. be, it was fun. It felt like you were doing something kind of like you were going rogue or you were like, you were hacking something. Yeah. And so it felt yeah. like really Cool and yeah. alternative, right? Did you know any other, but anybody else that was doing that? No, not when I started doing the the VCR to VCR mm-hmm. editing. Like that, that was like a revelation. And then when I was my first year of high school, that summer, I did a UCLA like film program. Mm-hmm. Like I spent four weeks out here, and mm-hmm. I met another kid from New York. Um, his name is Ariel. And he wasn't in the film program, but, like, he was a really talented artist, and mm-hmm. he was into movies, too. And he was good at basketball, and we, we played basketball a lot. Mm-hmm. And he was also from New York. And so we became friends there. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is that so we became kind of best friends in New York, even though we didn't go to the same school. And uh-huh. we were both into film. And then he, his, he's, that's Neve's brother. Oh, that's... That's how you met him. Right. Oh. oh God. So Neve was always like kind of the annoying ADHD younger <laughs> brother that how like much younger we had to you? hang out with like three years younger. Uh, and he was yeah. just like very annoying and hyperactive <laughs> and had no friends. Mm-hmm. And so he had to h- hang out with like his right. older brother and me. Right. Um, but then we got into filmmaking and I was, I also went to school in high school with this. I met through my love of film, this kid named Henry mm-hmm. and we became really close friends too, like filmmaking buddies. In fact, I did a senior project at my high school where I wanted to make a film and no one had ever done that as a senior project because the technology wasn't like available until like right then. Right. The only problem is is that I had a, I had a video camera Uh 
but I didn't have a computer to edit on. Like I couldn't edit on whatever IBM ThinkPad uh, I yeah. was using right. for to write my paper. So, um, but Henry uh, did. He had one. He had a. He had the computer <laughs> with nice. like the Final Cut Pro on, and I barely knew him. The the uh, teacher, like the media arts teacher, told me that. He had the computer. Like, so like there's this guy. Yeah, there's this guy. And I knew him kind of because I was like a peer leader, like my senior year, and he was a year younger, and he had just come to the school from like mm-hmm. he was like in Paris, like at some other like his parents moved from Paris back to New York. Mm-hmm. And so he was like older than the other kids in my peer group. Uh-huh. Because most of the kids in your peer group are like freshmen. Yeah. Anyway, there was like an immediate I like I saw who he was. Oh, this kid's interesting. And then when I found out he had the computer, I was like, I went up to him. I was like, hey, I want to make this movie, but I don't have the, the computer. And, uh-huh. and I won't have to go to school during the day because I'm doing this project. This is second semester, senior year. And so I didn't have to go to school. I could spend That's all day awesome. long like making uh-huh. this project. So I was like, what if I came over to your house yeah. like while you were leaving and like just hung out at your house all day <laughs> and edit on your computer, this movie that I was making. And he kind of, he said, cool. Uh, and then I like, I did every day and his uh-huh. cat hated me, but I <laughs> became really good friends with his mom. Uh-huh. And in the process, I became good friends with him. And then what's funny is that he and Ariel, my other friend met through me. Mm-hmm. And then they, I, after college, I went out to LA yeah. And they stayed in New York, and they became a directing team. And they did Paranormal Activity oh. 3. Oh, and, wow. And they did that movie Nerve. Yeah. And, so and they're, still, they're still doing yeah, stuff. Yeah, and so we're That's all, really and then cool. we've made things together. And, and then, you, I, you're and the then I did Catfish with Neve. All right. And so film kind of the, just following that passion. Is united. Yeah, yeah. It kind of kind of governs the rest of your life and where you end up going and and everything. But- to go back to your, like, was there a moment mm. where, where so that book, uh, Rebel Without a Crew, was mm-hmm. a, definitely a moment reading mm. that book. And I was like, wow, this sounds great. I want to do this forever. And then there was a moment in, I think I was a sophomore in high school, and I was in a media arts class that I had to kind of force my way to get into. It was like media arts two, and I hadn't taken media arts one. But I had done a lot of stuff at home, and so yeah. I got into this, class and like one of the first assignments was like to edit something and it, this was on premiere adobe premiere oh, yeah. we hadn't gotten to final cut pro yet i know you guys don't like know or care about like the software no no no. i, I actually do I know do. about yeah, both, okay. of, yeah, both yeah. of those yeah <laughs> so i on the first project like i was just at the computer like kind of assembling clips and this is non-linear editing uh-huh. now up to this point in history no one ever non-linear edited anything Everything was linear editing. So you had to like pick one shot and then like you had to go shot by shot mm-hmm. like, you know, chronologically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yes, you could build a sequence that's further along in the movie mm-hmm. and then combine it with a sequence that's earlier in the movie. But you still were, were, were assembling it chronologically. Right. Okay. Nonlinear editing is more like a puzzle. It's like, oh, I could move this clip here or, or put it there. And you're looking at it on a timeline and you can undo. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's more of a puzzle yeah. than, than like the assembly yeah. thing. And 
when I sat down and like started playing with the clips and then putting music underneath it and like I was like this is it yeah I was like this is it I, yeah. I remember calling my parents or something from school I was like I found the thing I want to do for the rest of my life yeah wow that's amazing how old were you at this point uh 15 or 16 yeah I was in a total so flow great. state uh-huh. putting it together it was like just the, and I still feel that way yeah, yeah. that's it, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. It's yeah. like magic. It's like, I can't believe I get to do this. Yep. Mm-hmm. This is the like the most fun thing ever. And it doesn't really cost a lot of money. Yeah. Right. I mean, it certainly doesn't cost any money now. Everyone right. has a phone basically right. that they can do it on. But just to be able to mix and match these clips and find where they connect and how to make an edit that's seamless, like yeah. cutting on, mm-hmm. you know, cutting on action so that you're, you know, you have one clip and then someone moves their hand and then that's where yeah. you cut to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's, it's where the story really comes together. Yeah. It's, and it's just the magic of creating something that has never been done before. Yep. There's a high that comes from that. Yeah. And it's amazing. Yeah. As an artist too, the same. It's like you have an idea in your head and you have all the tools to be able to make that happen. And Right. Well, I used to be really into video games. Like I loved playing Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Genesis. Then PlayStation came out like my freshman year of high school. Uh Yeah. But as soon as I got into editing, I stopped entirely with video games. Uh Because in a lot of ways, it was like I was using the same muscle. Mm -hmm. Like my brain was like I was was doing things with my hands that had a connection with the screen. Yeah. But after three hours of playing a video game, what do you have to show for it? Yeah. Right? Like maybe you got somewhere in the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when you spend three <laughs> hours editing something, like you have something to show yeah. that yeah. didn't exist before. Yeah. And you could show it to people. And yeah. it like they were astonished by the technology. Mm-hmm. And that was cooler than video games. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm still like in that. You know, I still yeah. love doing that and sitting down and having the ingredients to play with and everything like that. That's my favorite part of directing or, or making stuff is that like the, the writing and the directing are kind of a pretense to get to the assembly mm-hmm. stage mm-hmm. where you can start playing with everything. You know, I think there are a lot of directors that like, they love the directing and like figuring out a cool action scene, right. how to film it, doing everything in one take and whatever. Right. And then some people are just, they love writing. And, like, mm-hmm. the the fil- the directing and the editing is kind of secondary. Like, as long as they, they wrote something that has yeah. great dialogue or, or the right idea. But I'm definitely, like, editing-focused. Yeah. yeah. And so that, to me, it's like everything is about getting to that stage. Mm-hmm. And then, like, then I can block everyone out mm-hmm. and, like, go into my little cave and be alone <laughs> with all of these strands and like figure out this crazy puzzle and Mm. it fits together in some way like you have faith that like there's some way that it all can fit together but you're not sure how and yeah and figuring that out is like that's flow to me yeah I feel like that's just also a metaphor for life you just yeah you you don't know exactly how it's gonna come out but you have faith it's gonna come out good and you just and there's just magic to it yeah. And I I love the last one at least I think it's the last one you did it's the one that I saw about the books that oh, you yeah. traveled everywhere yeah we can talk about that sure yeah. I want I would love to talk about a bunch of your because I'm 
I'm a huge fan of your, <laughs> of, your vid, of your shorts. Thanks. Jim. And I went yesterday. I went to your website just to see like, have I seen them all? And, and I ended up rewatching all of them. And I wanted to to talk to you about some of them like specifically. Sure. So that was the crew, right? Who uh, you all the shorts you started to make? What were the first couple ones? Because so, that Aria, uh, like, right? Henry, were you guys all making those? N- no. We kind of worked all separately for a little bit, but uh-huh. then occasionally we came together and and did one together. Because which was two. the first one that you did, that you directed it and wrote it and edited it? So I came out to L.A. Do you want the long answer or the short answer? I want the long answer. Okay. We're diving mm-hmm. in here. I came out to L.A. to write a movie that with my with my college roommate that we had kind of... Sold, quote unquote, for very little mm-hmm. money uh-huh. to another college friend who had graduated before us that was like starting a production so company. So you already had graduated college? Yeah. And where, you went to Brown? Brown? And did you study film there? Or no, I studied creative writing and English literature. Nice. Because my dad actually told me, my dad, who's very supportive uh, in general, mm-hmm. and especially of the arts, uh, my grandma was an artist, and like David, and there was a lot of art in the family. But he was very skeptical about filmmaking mm. and directing. Mm. And I think the way a lot of people are skeptical about writing. Like, he really was fearful that I that wouldn't be able to figure out a career out of it yeah. or that it was so hard. And so in high school, once I started really getting into it, he really pushed me to do the creative writing side of it. Mm-hmm. He was like, if you can tell a good story and figure out the writing side, then he saw that as a way to kind of ensure that the rest of it would follow. Yeah. And it's also, and it was great because I did really get into creative writing because creative writing is almost the cheapest way to make a movie. Right. I was going to say, I, he, he was, he was right. I mean, I, I studied theater in college and I have a, my degree in acting and, but it's something that I always regret was not taking a creative writing class. And I'm surprised that in the major, we didn't have to take uh, creative writing at any point. And I wish that we, we did. So I have an opinion on that. Yeah. Which is that I, in a lot of ways, I sometimes daydream a lot about not having learned creative writing so early uh-huh. and or not having started to learn filmmaking so early because when you learn it early, you're kind of, it's sandwiched between all these other things. Like, uh-huh. and you're not diving in full bore right away. Uh-huh. And to learn it as an adult, like kind of taking everything you know now know about acting and putting it into writing, I almost uh-huh. feel like you'd be coming at it from both a fresher and more informed angle than when you're a kid and you're just doing it. Like, yes, you go through those kind of first bad impulses and get mm-hmm. them out of the way. But film, like making a film, always seemed like totally impossible to mm-hmm. me. It was like the biggest, most difficult thing ever. Because when right. you're a kid and you think about the trucks and the yeah. right. and everything, you're just the like, oh, holy shit, how am I ever going to do that? And there's a part of me that still feels that way. And I feel like if I had come to directing older, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be so freaked out by like how big the task is. And I still feel like, oh my God, it's such a big deal. Like mm-hmm. it's so hard. And like, and that's still like a very young part of me that like was trying to be a director like from a ridiculous age mm-hmm. versus like if you came to creative writing now, especially having done all you've done in acting, 
I feel like you would approach it differently and you might be better at it now having started as opposed yeah, to that then. makes sense so i don't yeah. know yeah i think it yeah. can like don't have that regret okay <laughs> thanks so uh, so i i came out to la and i needed to make money and so i started editing mm-hmm. i was doing a lot of editing because that's i knew i could do it didn't cost me any money to do it and i started directing i uh, started editing reels for television directors okay, okay. um you know, like DVDs. I knew how to make DVDs, uh-huh. yeah. which was like, oh, right, right. No one was making DVDs. Like the, <laughs> the the agencies and the managers and the studios, like no one knew how to do that. Yeah. And yeah. I just like, you know, I, as any kid my age with a computer, like you kind of figured it out. Yeah. Um, and so this is, is going to be a long, boring story. I was I rented a room out of the this company that my friend was running. It was the same company that we were ostensibly writing our movie for. But he was, that same company was a movie studio Mm. and a magazine called Good Magazine. Okay. And I was renting an office out of there to do my editing because when you live in LA and you work where you live, Mm -hmm. life can be very isolating. Right. Yeah. And depressing. Right. Because everything is in your house and you're not necessarily going out Mm-hmm. To, it's hard to meet people. Um, and so I was like, I need an office. Mm-hmm. So I asked my friend if I could like basically rent for free or for very little money an office in his building. And there was space. And he said, sure. And while I was there editing these director's reels and, you know, writing at home, YouTube sold for like $4 billion to Google. Mm-hmm. And it was like this big wake up call to everyone that like, holy shit, like YouTube. Yeah is like a thing. Right. Yeah. And I, and they were making this really cool magazine and it hadn't even launched yet, but I was paying attention to what was going on. The magazine was very aesthetically pleasing. The design was a big part of it. Were they like a pop culture? Good was good. It's still around. It, it's like, it was billed as like the economist, but for like millennials, like Mm -hmm. it it was a smart, informative, progressed like it focused on cool people doing cool things okay as opposed to being cool. like uh negative or critical uh-huh. and and it was kind of very much in the pre-obama into obama era like Got it, it. it really encompassed that okay um and there was all this great design and there were these great layouts in the magazine you know like when you're in a waiting room and you open time and you're just flipping through it because you know you're going to get called soon. Yeah. And like, what do you land on? You generally land on like the graphic spread right. Right. that like has a cool timeline or, right. or something. This is all making sense now with your videos. <laughs> right. Yes. So, and like the magazine had that. Uh-huh. And I had been doing all this editing and like it involved a lot of ripping, like ripping from other things. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, and I got good at ripping and taking things from other places and stitching them together and I was like hey guys like why don't we take some of these great spreads that you that you have ready for the magazine you've already done the work you've done the research you've designed Mm -hmm. it why don't I just then take that and turn it into a video that we'll put on YouTube Uh and I kind of was saying that for a while yeah and they're kind of like yeah I don't know maybe we have to see it well, then, right. So then a friend of mine who worked there, like, I, I vented to her that I was, like, frustrated that, like, I had this very good idea and no one seemed to be listening to it. And she's like, 
They just have to see it. Like, you just have to do it. Yeah. yeah. We talk about that all the time. Yeah. Just, you know, telling people about something, it's just not going to do it. You got to show it You have it to, to do it. Totally. Yeah. And that's like, that was, that's been a very good lesson every step of the way. You, yeah, me Actually, too. when I first moved here. That's, that's how like, We Are Your Friends happened. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, you, you kind of taught me that right away. Because I, I think I asked you something and you're like, don't. Don't ask me. Just do it. Right. Yeah. And, and that's sort of in that same, um, you know, category. of. Yeah. That's how I landed in my e-entertainment job. Right. At an interview. And um, I before the interview, I asked them, hey, what are some projects that they're working on and they haven't been able to successfully make happen because they don't have the artist? They told it to me. <clears throat> so the night before I stayed up. All night, I worked on a project, and in the interview, they're like, we're working on this, and we want to do this. And I was like, oh, I actually, I did it already. And I showed it to them, and then I got the job. Yeah. So, yeah, it's there just it doing is. it. Woody Allen, who's, I guess, not a, a controversial person to quote right now, but he has this quote, which is like 90% of success is showing up. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think you can extend that to like 90% of success is like just doing the work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But right, showing someone. Yeah. You can go blue in the face trying to explain your idea to someone. Yeah. But if they can see it and feel it and hear it, like yeah. you, it's so much more convincing. And that's how a lot of my projects kind of, yeah. my bigger projects get started. You can create a piece that looks and feels, yeah. give someone a feeling for it. Mm -hmm. And then right. it's so much more real to them and it, it gives them more confidence to sign off on it. Right. So this friend of mine said, make the thing. Uh -huh. So I made this video. It was, uh, it was based on like which countries had nuclear weapons and how many they had uh -huh. and whether they were increasing or decreasing. And there were all these cool graphics in the magazines and and I was really into Ratatat at the time, which is a really cool band. Yeah. yeah. And I they were kind of coming up, they weren't huge. And I used a song of theirs. I had just seen them at the Troubadour, and there was this one while we were at the Troubadour, there was this one song that they played, Gettysburg. And I was like, whoa, this song would be amazing for this video. Uh -huh. And we actually, like, got the song for, like, you, virtually oh, wow. no money. Yeah, uh -huh. I reached out to them. Yeah. And, and it took me a long time to make this piece. Like, it, it was over months that I was working on it. It was kind of in the background because there was no deadline to show it to these people. Yeah. Right. But when I did kind of, I started showing it to them, like, towards the end of the process. And they were, like, amazed. Uh -huh. They were, like, really psyched about it. And they put it out, and it, like, got a lot of views, yeah. which was, like, a new drug that yeah. I wasn't, right. I wasn't right. used to. I was uh -oh. like, whoa, <laughs> this feels good. And then, then I was like, okay, I, I'm getting a feel for what this game is about. So then I – and that, that piece about the nuclear weapons was all editorial. Like, I didn't film anything. It was mm -hmm. all – archival footage of like old nuclear oh, weapon yeah. PSAs like hide under your desk stuff. So I was yeah. just taking old clips yeah. uh -huh. and I had like an animator that I found that I paid a little money to like kind of put together some stuff. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And I filmed, I filmed some stuff in New York, like a shot of like the empire state building a shot of times square. Cause it part of the video is like what would happen if a, a if a, a nuclear bomb went off in, in New York city. Do you still have, is this video still up? Yeah. Well, so, so Two thing, two crazy things happened. After this video, I was like, I was gaining a little more confidence in directing, but I still had like a lot of qualms about, oh my god, like they're going to be people on set, they're right. going to be looking to me. Like right. I, I much preferred being at the computer. Uh -huh. 
But I was I wanted to push myself to do something like live action that would require like me to figure it out beforehand and like come in with a plan and have people. And you know, one thing I knew about the internet that was popular was internet porn. Mm-hmm. Like that and in my mind, if you wanted to make a good internet video, you'd you'd basically have to compete with everything else on the internet that people were consuming and watching. Mm-hmm. Right. So it you, it would have to be better than internet porn. Right. Was my feeling. I see. Especially if you're making things about like I wasn't this wasn't college humor. Like I was at a magazine this called Good Magazine. Right. Yeah. Right. So you had to find a way to make these kind of dry things like clickbait in a way kind of mm-hmm. early clickbait right mm-hmm. and it was like but the video itself had to be as exciting if yeah, not great. more so yeah, than yeah. than in, in than internet porn yeah so then i was like well why don't we do a video about internet porn and this wasn't in the magazine mm-hmm. so this was like an idea i was like why don't we find a bunch of oh. stats about mm-hmm. internet pornography and how big it is and like just you know there are a lot of random stats yeah yeah, just, yeah. And this was 2007. And I found a bunch of stats and then had my friend who was running the the kind of the edit. We started an editing company together. And this friend will become important later in the story. Okay. So he was a kid. He was out. He was a year or two younger than me. He was like just got out of uh, college, Uh liked editing. And so... I hired him and he quickly kind of became like a business partner and, and, and a kind of protege editor of mine. And I told him, I was like, find a porn star. What we're going to do is we're going to write the stats on a porn star's body. Uh-huh. And as she takes off her clothes, it will reveal a stat. That's so... So yeah. it was kind of like... Creative. Sexy, yeah. pushing the line a little bit. Like, it was kind of naughty, but it, it ended up being, you know, we didn't, yeah. we didn't break any rules. Yeah, right? yeah. But, you know, it was sexy. Yeah. Yeah. And so we did it. And, like, he called this, like, porn agency. <laughs> and it was, like, very awkward. You <laughs> yeah. know, the woman, it was a British woman, I remember. She's like, are you going to be pointing a camera at her vagina? And we were like, uh. uh. <laughs> was like, well, she's actually not going to be naked. Yeah. So they sent us some girls, and we, like, mm-hmm. looked at pictures of some girls. It was like, this one is good. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And then we set a date, and I had a friend of mine who was, like, a makeup artist. She was a friend of a – she was the cousin of a close friend of mine. Mm-hmm. It was like, I asked him if she could come over and, like, maybe d- draw the stats on or, like, write it on with, like, a tattoo pen uh-huh. on the body. And then I, I had a DP friend of mine who was at USC uh-huh. come over – and and a makeup person we had to get to. So this was all new to me. Yeah, yeah, right. And I was really nervous. We shot it at my house. And I knew what I wanted. I knew the kind of shots I wanted. Yeah. I knew the song I wanted kind of too. And you had all the information you wanted to use yes. too, right? Yeah, we had it on a sheet of paper. Uh-huh. And so I wanted the DP to like get really close to her and like yeah. the camera kind of to paint her body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like kind of, you know, trace... The, yeah. the the contours of her body where the stat would go and he was he was nervous too i mean like right. he yeah. didn't know what he could do and what he couldn't do and at some point i took the camera out of his hands and i like kind of like got on top of her not in a sexual way yeah but right. like 
you know, yeah. just yeah, yeah. wanted to get close. I was like, this is what it's going to be like. And we were nervous around her. Right. And she yeah. was smoking pot the whole time. Yeah. Like she, she was a real porn star. Yeah. Um, and, and so we shot it. And like, I was really nervous and I was nervous afterwards that we didn't get it. And I had this song I wanted to use. Right. And I had all this footage, but I didn't know quite if it was going to work. And then at the same time, I wanted to find out if we could get the song. And the song ended up being really expensive. Okay. So my friend, who my business partner at the time, who was my co-editor, who called the porn agency, uh-huh. was like, I have a friend from high school who makes beats. Like, you should go over to his house and, like, make make a beat with him. Oh, that's cool. So we went, yeah. I went over to his house, and we spent, like, three hours and, like, found this really cool, really cool. like, old sample mm-hmm. that no one would know. Mm-hmm. And we kind of put a, a beat it. on it. And, yeah. yeah. And kind of created this track together. And, it, and the track ended up kind of being cute and have a nice hook to it. And so I edited the piece, put the put the song on it, called the video internet porn uh-huh. mm-hmm. and chose a thumbnail that was very, you know, yeah. uh, provocative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And within two days, it had five million hits. Oh my oh gosh. My and that God. was back then. Yeah. What and I was like, Whoa. I was like sold. Wow. Just, just like that drug of like, yeah. like every time I refreshed, yeah. like it would jump like 10,000. You like couldn't wait to 15, wake up every 000. day in right, the morning right. to check. I was just checking like a maniac. <laughs> yeah. And this is before Instagram. This is before yeah. anything. Like, that was the drug. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then two funny things happened. Okay. One, that nuclear weapons piece I made got into Sundance. Oh, nice. Oh, my God. I didn't even submit it to Sundance. But what? the magazine did, along with a few other videos that... Some that they had because that first video did well, they they hired someone else to kind of like start making other videos out of the articles. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But I was still doing other things, so I didn't want to do that full time. Right. I just yeah. wanted to make a video once in a while. So that got into Sundance, which was insane because one, insane. I never thought that that was a short film. Yeah, like I would have never thought to to submit that to Sundance. It wasn't a film; it was right. like a piece of content, uh-huh. mm-hmm. right? And then I was like, "Well, this is cool." I've never gotten yeah. into Sundance before. I never even submitted anything. But the fact that this is being considered a piece that's worthy of going to the Sundance Film Festival, I was like, well, that's interesting. Like, what? that's really cool. It opened, opened up your mind. Totally. Yeah. And then the second thing that happened was my business partner friend, I told you this part of the story was going to come back, uh-huh. he... He was a really good editor, like really good. Like he got to a point where like I was kind of giving him a lot of the work and we were splitting it. But he realized that he didn't like being in a dark room with no windows all day, every day with Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. You know, he Mm -hmm. was way more social and and liked people. And so he he decided to leave and go work for a producer um, that he knew, like a much older, like established producer. And he worked there for like a year and then went to CAA to the uh, like mail room and just started there. Mm-hmm. And we stayed in close touch and he became an assistant. And I was always, I was like his first client and he's still my, he's my agent. Oh, oh my, my God. Yeah. He still is. Yeah. Wow. And part of the way that he, got he and he climbed the ranks at CA like really quickly in the yeah. talent department because 
he knew how to cut these reels for oh, for actors. Well, for actors and directors, because uh, that's what we were doing. Right. Yeah. That's how we were making. So they needed money. him. Well, he did what I did at Good. They uh, had they had this guy that that was really talented, but had n- made no movies. Uh-huh. Named Tom Hardy. Oh my god! And he he had done a few little film projects, and and my friend, my business partner, made his reel and he sent it to me and I like gave him some like creative feedback, yeah. but like it was pretty much there. And he did the same thing for Andrew Garfield and like both of those wow. like instantly made him really like all of a sudden this assistant at CAA like had another skill that was like very, uh, sought out for yeah. at the time. Yeah. They yeah. didn't even right. know that they, that it was that important until yeah. it was all of a sudden that important. And so, he climbed really quickly, and and we still like we still talk, you know, every day. But yeah, yeah. so amazing. he be, he became my agent, and I started doing more videos for good and for YouTube, and mm-hmm. kind of phased out of the the real stuff. And and yeah, and then when did make it count? When did you and Casey start making stuff? <sighs> okay, so do you have to take a break at all or anything? No. Okay. Um, Casey is a funny one because we we have a ton of friends in common. Rel. Mm-hmm. Oh, should we say the last name for people that don't know? Just oh, yeah. Casey. How do you pronounce it? Casey Neistat. Neistat. Okay. So Casey Neistat and I have now done like a ton of. That was really cute, guys. They just like they just like touched hands in like some kind of like intimate like secret <laughs> handshake way. I didn't even realize we just did that. And it was like really really cute. I didn't even realize it just happened. Um, <laughs> now they're now they're both turning bright red, especially Amanda. Her glasses are matching her cheeks right now. Um, that is funny. So Casey Neistat was always kind of this like cult figure, even before he was like big on YouTube. He just like was always ahead of everyone else and doing crazy things with his yeah. brother Van. And I'd heard of him a long time ago because Rel. My friend Rel, Ariel, uh-huh. out of college, Neve's brother. Uh-huh. Okay. Like his first job out of college was like interning for Casey Neistat. Oh, oh, so that's how. Okay. Okay. And but you didn't really. You just sort of knew him through yeah, those guys. I was like, Casey's this weird looking guy, <laughs> and like he makes these kind of homemade videos. And then at some point, like he and his brother sold a show to HBO, and this okay. was like 2007 or uh-huh. 2008. I was like, mm-hmm. well, that's impressive. Mm-hmm. And the show came out. And I don't know, I was like very skeptical and I like didn't want to like Casey or I, I barely knew. I didn't, yeah. I'd never met him. Right. I'd only known him through my friends. And I wanted him at some point to do something for Good uh-huh. Magazine because like there were people at Good that were friends, that were fans of him. Uh-huh. And I had a connection and they were like, do you think you could yeah. like maybe call Casey and see if you want to do that? So I tried. And like, Casey had an assistant that I talked to. I was like, like I have to got to talk to this guy's assistant. <laughs> the assistant was like, yeah, like uh, Casey's really busy right now. Like, mm-hmm. and he kind of like shut the door on me. And I was like, yeah. fuck that guy. Casey. <laughs> like, who does he think he is? He thinks he's hot shit or something. <laughs> so I, um, I made a short film. I left good after a while. Cause I kind of did a lot. I wanted to do there. And I, it, time had come for me to spread my wings i made this big short film and i put all my money into it and i like had no money like literally I'd which no, one was that like, which this is this garden of eden which okay. is a film that i never yeah quite I finished. okay um 
I sank all my money into it and I needed to make money. I didn't mm-hmm. want to go back to good. So all of a sudden, uh, I took on some editing jobs, which is something I hadn't done in a while. And the first one I did was for Rel and Henry. They mm-hmm. had this really cool, these two cool short films about artists. One was about um, Chris Burden, mm-hmm. who is an amazing conceptual artist who had done a lot of stuff at LACMA. And um, that was a really fun thing to work on with them. And then the second was this short film called, uh, it, was, it, was, it wasn't called anything. It was about John Baldessari. And it was going to premiere at the at some gala that LACMA was going to have where Baldessari and Clint Eastwood were uh, going to both be honored. Wow. But the thing is that, like, everyone knows who Clint Eastwood is. Mm-hmm. And yeah. everyone was going to be there, like Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, like, everyone who's everyone was going to be at the gala. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But no one, like, not everyone was going to know who John Baldessari was, right. even though he's a big deal in the art world. But, like, I say that name and, like, there's not immediate recognition. Yeah. Right. right. Um, I didn't even know who he was before this project. And so um, Rel and Henry asked me to edit it. And our friend Gabe, who also went to high school with me, who was like Henry's best friend from high school, uh, wrote it. And he wrote this thing. He wrote like kind of what he imagined the interview with John would be. And it was this very kind of like uh, irreverent, funny interview that mm-hmm. he was imagining with John Baldessari. So then Rel and Henry went and interviewed John Baldessari and Baldessari was like not into the interview. Like he gave one word answers, oh like was like clearly like either it was had already decided that doing interviews was like lame uh-huh. and he was like not going to say anything about his art and just be really like closed mouthed and, yeah. and terse. Right. And I got the footage which had nothing to do with the <laughs> script, really. And and that was all there was with some B-roll of the studio. And I asked kind of Rel and Henry, what do you guys want me to do? Yeah. Like, I was actually really depressed at this point mm. because I, I made this short film. Like I said, I spent all this money on it. And it just didn't turn out. I couldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. I like, couldn't. You know, I was. It was me trying to do like a proper film as opposed to like the stuff I was doing at Good, mm-hmm. right? And like, I, I don't know if I like. Maybe it was trying to be someone I wasn't. Yeah. yeah. And I was like really disillusioned with myself. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I was like, I don't know who I am. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, that makes so that, much and sense. That happens. I, I think that know. happens a lot to artists. I don't yeah. know if I'm the director I thought I was. I thought I wanted to make stuff like this, but like it's. It feels so foreign to me. Like I got into the edit with it, which is normally the place where I'm the happiest. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I became so depressed, like really like maybe the most depressed I've ever been. Mm Because I just felt like I'm like I I got on stage and like I croaked. Uh Yeah. And I put all this money into it and I asked everyone for it. So it was like kind of big and embarrassing. So I asked Rel and Henry uh, the short. I was really depressed. I was like, what what the fuck do you guys want me to do? Like, Mm -hmm. tell me. And they're like, I don't know. Like, do what you do. I'm like, what do I do? They're like, you know, like, weave it together with, like, music and make it fun and interesting. And I was like, is that what I do? And they were like, yeah. I was like, okay. So I start, like, I kind of went 100% in the opposite direction of the short film I made. So the short film I made was this, like, very ethereal, dreamy, like slow, beautiful, haunting yeah. thing. It was like a real piece of film. And I just went 180 degrees in the like 
really fast, like yeah. content, like like this really intense editorial yeah. style. Yeah. Okay. And I just kind of felt my like groped my way through the project, and it turned out like there was a tight time uh, pr- time pressure timeline for it. And I got really depressed and freaked out during the whole the thing. Ta- I, like, oh, I, those ate, are the worst. I, I ate half my thumb off. <laughs> oh literally. My, my friends still talk about it. And we were like, the 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 the, the gala was coming up like on us, oh like really gosh. close. And I and I hadn't figured this out. Like it was all in pieces and like it didn't I it just wasn't coming together. And I like then the person from LACMA came over and watched a cut and like she was like yeah, it's good. Oh my God. And 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 my friends were like, "See, she likes it. Like, okay, we we can just finish it like this." I'm like, "No, guys. Like, did you see? Yeah. Like, she didn't. Yeah. She had no reaction. Like, it, yeah. like, we can't. It has to be better than that." Yeah. So this is what well this the next part that happened was really interesting. So we wanted to get the whole thing sound mixed right before it plays on a big sound mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. stereo or whatever sound. Uh, System, system yeah. at LACMA at this gala that Clint Eastwood and Leonardo DiCaprio oh were going to be. Oh my god, the pressure! <laughs> right, and and I was going crazy. I'd eaten my thumb half off, and it was like time to send the thing to the sound mix, but it wasn't even close to being done. Oh but something had to be sent to the sound mix, yeah. and yeah. so what I did was I I kind of said, forget about the visual for a second. I'm going to like just make this work audio wise. So if you closed your eyes and listened to it it would sound right. Uh-huh. It would like, mm-hmm. it would flow right. Uh-huh. And I, and I was able to do it actually. And we sent that to the sound mix. And then knowing that I was kind of locked into that, mm, then you had to then I just that. wallpapered yeah. the visuals kind of on top of it and made that work. And the, the thing like went, it, all of a sudden like we cracked it like at the last oh second and it was a, huge success at LACMA and it like it we released it and like everyone has copied it now like oh my like it's been crazy Game of Thrones did a whole promo on HBO that copied it Conan O'Brien's I don't even know if I'm allowed to say it but like a lot of people like have ripped it off or copied it in some way I can't wait to Chanel (laughs) uh, we've like have a list so it became this thing which is crazy because it it, we really pulled it out of our asses at the last <laughs> second. Yeah. But it became, it's become, or it became this kind of like iconic, like short film mm-hmm. that people went crazy for. Yeah. And also I kind of cracked something in terms of like doing a radio edit first, mm-hmm. as opposed to like playing with all the pieces, just doing like the audio piece first was, yeah. was, a, was a, I don't know, something an evolutionary yeah. step yeah. Right. that yeah. came from just being up against the clock. Casey Neistat saw that uh-huh. piece and was like, I want that guy to help me edit uh-huh. these three films that I just agreed to do for Nike. God. Wow. It. And he was about to do these so three films. So his assistant reached out. No. <laughs> no, he, he reached out. Yeah. He emailed me and I was like, oh, well, I'm not, I don't really edit for other people, but I did just do it for my friends because I needed money. And I know that Casey's like somebody. Like yeah. he like I was I was flattered that Casey wanted me to work with him, uh-huh. and so I went to a studio in New York, and I was still super depressed from everything. And yeah. this video we hadn't even re- quite released it yet, but he had seen it, mm-hmm. and and we did two videos together, 
that I just edited. Mm-hmm. And it was very frustrating editing for Casey because he, he just shoot, he, at the time he was just shooting ad hoc and for it with, for Nike. I mean, he would just run out and shoot something on the street and come back and like, give me the footage. I was yeah. like, like there's no lighting, no DP, oh no nothing. And yeah. like, here he was like making something for Nike, which was also another like click. It's like, huh, mm-hmm. maybe you don't need all that fancy shit. Right. And right. that was part of Casey's charm. And then it got very, like, we had a very fun but antagonistic, like, relationship because I was like, the next thing you make, like, the third video you make, like, I want to help you actually, like, shoot it because I don't want to just be on the receiving end of, like, this avalanche of footage that you give me that I have to figure out how to put together when you kind of have an idea of what you want, but, like, not really, yeah. and you're driving me crazy. Like, let's try to do the next one, be in lockstep, like, from before we shoot it till after. And on my 30th birthday, he called me. I was out to dinner with uh, my wife, and I'm going to digress for a second. So while I'm working for Casey on the first two videos, again, I'm still super, like, in a weird, depressed, like, yeah. I don't know if I'm going to be a filmmaker thing. I don't know yeah. if it's working out. But... I also I also was getting married to my wife like on January fifth like uh-huh. we were we had a fiance visa for uh-huh. her to be in the country we had to get married after at least that uh, at most ninety days of her being in the country oh wow and it was running out and we knew we wanted to do it but I was also in New York working with Casey uh-huh. on this thing that had a tight timeline yeah. mm-hmm. and a deadline yeah and our wedding was supposed to be January fifth in L A so. Oh my gosh. Priscilla and I, my wife, flew back to LA. Yeah. Like on the 4th. Oh my God. Bought clothes on the 5th, like the morning of the 5th. Like I went to J. Crew with her and like bought like some nice clothes on the Mm -hmm. morning. Got married that afternoon, like at the courthouse with a couple people there. Mm -hmm. Um, Like went to Chateau Marmont afterwards. And then the following day went back to New York uh-huh. to finish working on this thing with Casey. Oh so my then gosh. on my 30th birthday, which was like a few weeks later, like I'd left New York. I'd finished those two jobs. I was like, I never want to see Casey Neistat ever again, <laughs> ever. Like this just like ran me so ragged. Like I don't want to edit. I hate editing for other people. Like it's miserable. I never want to see Casey. Yeah. And then, then the phone rings. Then the phone rings yeah. on my thirtieth birthday. We were at um, it's some sushi face. restaurant, yeah. right? And he was like, "I want to go around the world in eleven days or ten days, and I want you to pick like the craziest, most like beautiful, cinematic-looking places like around the world." He's like, "Yeah, I think Antarctica or like the Andes or <laughs> India, like whatever it is, like." will you help me shoot this? I'm like, I'm going in like four days. Oh my gosh. So I was like, that sounds kind of cool. Okay, I'll do it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I sell it. So I like had a little birthday party in like the next day or two and then went to New York, thought about what the video would be on the plane, got to New York, had lunch with Casey with a little notebook and Mm -hmm. we came up with some ideas of things we would do in in each of these places. Mm Mm-hmm. And then later that day, we just went to the airport and flew to Paris. And that was like the first place. Yeah. And that. I love this video. And that was. And that was it. So good. 
And that was the, and so we went on this crazy adventure. We basically, we only slept on airplanes. Like we never slept in a hotel except for maybe in one place. Wow. And we went to like, we went to uh, Victoria Falls in Zambia. We went to Cairo, right? This was like literally like a couple weeks after like the Tahrir Square like protest oh massacre. We went to, like no one was in Cairo. Like yeah. I, my parents were like, Freaked Freak, out. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. We went to uh, Thailand and uh, and all these other places. Now, I'm trying now to think I'm, where else too? Because I just I just rewatched it. Um, and anyway, yeah. And then we went. Oh yeah, we went to Singapore mm-hmm. and all these places. Like I had never been, and we were only there for like twelve hours sometimes. Yeah. Right. Um, just to sometimes just get just like to get the, a, yeah two to, or three shots. Yeah. And then oh get back gosh. on the airplane. Like sometimes uh, like. Four seconds in these places, and then it's on to the next. Yeah, it's, it was insane. And and insane. Casey is that kind of person. Oh yeah, we went to Oman, like oh, in wow. the United Arab Emirates. Like, and we did some serious bonding. I mean, yep. you're just in the trenches, sure. and like we were so tired. And and it was it was very awesome and insane and fast. And I had actually, it, it was so cool and fun once we were like two thirds of the way through it. And I'd had this song that I'd been sitting on. That I wanted to like be the end of my first feature film, mm-hmm. and but I had a feeling that when we were on the trip, I was like, "Oh fuck, this song." You kept hearing <laughs> this song, yeah. I was like, "This song will be perfect for this," but I don't want to give it to that asshole. I don't want to give it to Casey, like, where well, he doesn't deserve it. And then I said to him, "I was like, look, I have this song that I've been sitting on and yeah. like saving yeah. for like the right thing, but this." This film is so like it so has inspired me just making it like I think it might be good. So I played it for him and he like went nuts yeah. for it. And and that and that was make it count. And so yeah. Oh, I can't wait to watch. And that yeah, one too. One. That we one anytime you release something with Casey, it like gets a crazy amount of attention. Even then, he hadn't done a lot. Yeah. He'd done his bike lanes video. But this was what, like 2010, maybe or, you know, or 12, uh, I 12? think. Um, and he he just always has like he's just got this aura of like he's just a superhuman and like yeah. crazy mm-hmm. things. He's He'll he lives just do anything. He lives life in a, just a different orbit. Yeah, I mean, he's, not just the things awesome. he does, but he's like awesome. the things that he's connected to and everything. Yeah. It's just like a different level. I didn't know like those doors opened. Uh-huh. Yeah. I didn't even know those doors existed. You uh-huh. know, like yeah, it's, yeah. He just. He's just living life on a on a different plane than uh-huh. most people, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and that video came out, and like within a day or two, it was like every time you refresh that, it was like up a hundred thousand, right? Like, and then all of a sudden, like it got written up in all these, all like articles, all these articles yeah. everywhere, like can. Like wanted it for something. Like it was on Casey was on the cover of like Shots magazine. Like he was on the news. Like literally like CNN or some New York thing talking about it. And like uh-huh. it got written up everywhere. And it became like the most watched video in like the history of of Nike. Of, oh my god! That's what Casey says. I, I'm not. I, I'll take his word <laughs> yeah. for it. But I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's it's like one of his most watched videos, and it really kind of helped launch him into like an, the next big mm-hmm. uh phase but it was definitely a collaboration yeah like he made me do things i didn't want to do and didn't think would like he made me 
use those quotes. And I was uh-huh. like, I don't want to use fucking quotes. Like, it's going to be like a bad yearbook page. <laughs> and he was like, use the quotes. No, they was, worked. They, I know. I was yeah. like, I don't want to use the quotes. He was like, use the quotes. I was like, fine. <laughs> so I tried to make them work. And then they, they did kind of they work. Worked. They yeah. worked. Yeah. Which was a great lesson ter- in terms of like being an editor, working uh-huh. with someone else. It's like sometimes you don't really see what someone else is talking about. But if you surrender a little bit and like try to find a way, you might discover something that's even cooler or yeah. better. So that video came out and went bananas. And I started Catfish right at that time, literally like the next month. Follow the Frog was is one of my favorite ones that you've ever done. So Follow the Frog, when did that, that was like three months after Make It Count. So... What, so, so this is still 2012. Uh, was that all around We're that shooting scene? Catfish. Catfish season one hadn't come out yet. Yeah. We were still shooting it. I mm-hmm. shot Follow the Frog. So the the spirit of making Make It Count mm-hmm. inspired me to do this crazy thing for uh, Follow the Frog. Yeah. So Follow the Frog, the way that came about was I still, I didn't have like commercial representation, right. which is what I wanted, right? I wanted to go from making internet videos to like making commercials and mm-hmm. making a living. Yeah. And... The Nike piece got a lot of uh, attention, uh-huh. and I got some attention because of it. Some people noticed that I edited it, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I got handed like a really cheap, undesirable like assignment from this really big, awesome commercial company, and they were like, "The money on this is too small. It, it's not union, so we mm-hmm. can't take it on," but if you want to basically take it and show us how good you are, like this would be a great proving ground for you. And there Mm -hmm. there was like Mm $15,000 to make it, which is nothing. Right. But I was like, Oh, we can make this like no crew, no lights, no nothing. Um, I came up with like a few funny ideas, bounced them off the, the woman who was kind of in charge of like the Rainforest Alliance marketing. Rainforest Alliance is that company that puts yeah, the little the frog stamp yeah. Yeah. and says that basically this was made, you know, it's this passes all like mm-hmm. sustainability t- like tests and, and is pro rainforest development yeah. as opposed to like Not cutting down for a palm oil. I used to work for Greenpeace. Oh, cool. <laughs> right. Which is way more hardcore. Yeah. I think than, yeah, yeah. than Rainforest hard. Alliance. But, but it's still great. So if yeah. you see it in your chocolates, definitely you want to get It's on everything. Once yeah. you start like noticing. Love, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I went down to Costa Rica with a producer friend of mine and an actor friend of mine. That and, guy was great, by the way. The actor? And yeah. That is fantastic. And he actually, he we didn't even talk about it. He had come in from Europe or somewhere else where he was visiting a friend. And we met him at the airport and then oh, wow. went with him on another plane. Like he, oh, wow. he had come in. We picked him wow. up at the airport. Went to another terminal yeah. and went on the plane. And and I had a five D and a and a uh, and a and a bag of props and yeah. costumes yeah. and stuff. And and that was it. We had a very loose plan. Yeah. And we shot for like four days in the rainforest of Costa Rica, two days in Nicaragua, uh-huh. and. That was it. We had a very loose like framework for what the video was going to be, yeah. and we kind of discovered things as we went along the way. Like the van would pass like a really cool background, or like a beautiful like river, or like some 
some crazy thing, and mm-hmm. I'd be like, "Stop the van! Stop the van!" Yeah. Yeah. And we'd get on like Tim. That was the name of the actors. Uh, that was the name of the actor. I was like, "Tim, go in that river." Yeah, and he like, would do and it. And he would do it. Yeah. and he would do it. And there was definitely like snakes and like bad things yeah. in the river, but like he was game for it. And so we kind of put this whole thing together like that. It was yeah. very improvised. I, I love that. I mean, it's such a Max video, and on like it's it goes to That's what so your fun. friends said to you, like do that thing that you do. Well, so it's, that there was another piece of that. Uh-huh. So. The John Baldessari video was uh-huh. narrated by Tom Waits. Right. And that was like a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Part of it. And then I wanted the Follow the Frog video to be narrated by someone famous too. And we were trying to get it to Alec Baldwin. Uh-huh. And Danny DeVito was actually like going to do it uh-huh. un- until the last second when like he didn't. And so I had to do the voiceover I like myself. When you do it. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that was like another step in the evolution. I was like, wait a minute. If I can do the voiceover and shoot it basically myself with very little crew yeah. and put it together for virtually no money, like, yeah. like I can make anything yeah. like, without needing many people to right. do it. And that realization kind of brought me to a lot of the other things I've done, like the bookstore video. Mm-hmm. Which was, again, it was like a crazy weird video I wanted to do. It didn't cost, I mean, it, it cost a the little. The traveling, yeah. The traveling, and then I, I hired some people to do the drone mm-hmm. photography mm-hmm. and stuff. Oh, but, right. like, cost very little. Same yeah. thing with dicks, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. So, right, all these videos, it was just like, wait a minute. I can make cool stuff that I oddly want to make, and I mm-hmm. don't have to ask permission Right. Yeah. To all these people to make it. Right. I can just put it on my YouTube channel. And part of the reason I did Catfish was because when I was making videos at Good, like you'd make the video, you spend all this time like breaking your back to make the video. Yeah. And then it, then you just like push it live on YouTube and like cross your fingers and hope to God that it would pick up. Right. Mm. And then you, you're like, well, what famous people do we know collectively that we could get to repost it? Because, like, if you can get Ashton Kutcher to repost your video, he had the most, like, Twitter yeah. subscribers at one point. Yeah. He was like, well, if he can repost the video, then it's going to go viral. So it was like, who do you know that has a lot of followers that could go viral? Mm-hmm. So when Catfish came along and I was kind of, like, not so sure about doing it, I was like, wait a minute. What if I could amass followers <laughs> so that hat. I wouldn't have to like beg and plead like with people who are friends of people who right. are friends of yeah. Ashton Kutcher right. to get this video in front of him. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> right. so that was like another part of like the vertical integration, mm-hmm. but and it, and it, it kind of works and kind of doesn't. Yeah, to I be mean, honest. you do it all. There's another hat to add to. Oh my yeah, God. but it's yeah. funny because it doesn't quite work that way. Like when people follow you, like people mm-hmm. follow you, Amanda, because they love your art, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. people follow me because they want to see me goofing around with Neve. Uh, right. So yeah. but it's kind of like a bait. I thought like you could bait and switch people. And like some people, like you, I start posting my yeah. videos and some yeah. people yeah. kind of are like go into them. But a lot of people yeah. are like, where's more pictures of you and Neve? Right, yeah. right. I, I see what you're saying right. with that. But, you know... You just left Catfish. So this is something that happened to me too with Periscope. So everybody saw me for Periscope in the beginning. They're like, where are your videos? I mean, they didn't even know I did these drawings. It started in 2017. They knew me for my paintings. So 
I think that just because you just left, it'll happen, but slowly. Now I have a whole huge audience. I mean, when I had, when I was on Periscope, I had like 14K on Instagram. I had like nothing. So now I have an audience that knows me for my drawings because mm-hmm. it's been three years. I think in three years, it's, it's going to be. It's only been three years? That's it. Yeah. Three years total or three years since you left Periscope? Since since you left Periscope. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So. There's a three-year rule. I started the drawing in 2017, this this drawing thing. But I think that in three years, people are going to forget about this whole, I mean, the catfish thing and then anything that you've been making those three years. But Because it is fresh. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing it. I made a feature film, like, while doing Catfish 2. Right. Yeah. Um, And so, and that was another crazy mindfuck, too, in a great way. But... Um, I do want I do want to talk about we are your friends. You know, you talked about how like my dad, you know, inspired you a lot, and I think that we've come full circle because you gave me my first job in L.A. and uh, you know I'm like forever grateful and thankful for you to to do that for me because it made my my life and career so much. I mean, I don't want to say easier because it hasn't been easy, but <laughs> but but you know what? It was it was easy sort of to walk into an agency. And meet with a manager and be like, well, I'm in this movie. And they signed me and they signed me. So that was huge for me. So that was like, I'm, I'm forever grateful and in your debt for that. Really. I, was, uh, I was psyched to be able to look like such a big man on campus. Like, it fed my ego a lot to have you just move to L.A. It was like, hey, Joey, come help me make this movie. I mean, yeah. you were in the room helping audition actors. Yeah. Like right when you got here. Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. my God. Was it was at, like within weeks of you getting here. You were like in week. a room with oh, Zach Efron. I hadn't been here for a full week and probably five, four or five days. And next thing you know, I'm running scenes with like, Efron. I <laughs> and I, I mean, yeah. I and, and like Joey got a totally warped like <laughs> I did. Of- and like, and then, and then like shooting it um, was a crazy experience. We almost and, didn't shoot your scene. I know. And, and I think like one of the PAs said to me like, yeah, we're. I don't think we're going to get to it. And I was like, all right. And I was like, oh. I was like walking to my, I was like walking to get my stuff. And then uh, uh, another PA like came like running down the alley and they're like, they need you, they need you on set. So I had to run back and do it. And yeah. that was crazy because jo- Joey, and you killed the part. I mean, it was great, but Joey was like exactly the right age that mm-hmm. all these right. guys were in the movie. And so it was, it was perfect. I was like pretending like I knew what I was doing and and like, jo- like trying to impress Joey, I was like, Joey's gonna be really impressed with me. <laughs> um, and I'm trying to impress Max. Like, look how good of an actor I am. Like, I have yeah. no idea. I was like, eh. that is great. He's good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, even the way we made, like, we made We Are Your Friends for like very little money, considering who was in it and where we were shooting. Like, LA didn't have tax breaks, which is mm-hmm. a big deal. And like, um, we had bonafide movie stars in the movie and 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 we made it look a lot bigger than it was right and a lot of that came i don't know the big lesson from that movie there were there were a lot of big lessons um but the big lesson on that movie kind of was that it's no it was no different than any of the short films Mm. like your back is up against the wall you don't have as much time as you wish you had. You don't mm-hmm. have as many resources as you wish you had. There will come a point or two where you're like, I feel like I'm the only person pushing this boulder up a hill. And I thought there was going to be like 
cavalry is going to yeah. come like help me at some point. Yeah. And the good news was that it's just like making everything else. And the bad news is that it's just like making everything else. Yeah. Right. Except the difference, the difference is, is that the shorts are where you're, you had total control over them. Right. And I also had a lot of, I mean, I had a, a lot of control over where your friends yeah. considering. Uh-huh. I, I mean, like it wasn't total control, but yeah. like it was I because I played such a big hand in the editing of it. Yeah. Like, I got away with a lot of things that I don't think I would have ever gotten away with. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. A lot of kids ask me for advice, mm-hmm. and I tell them kind of what I told you, and probably what Amanda dis- has discovered is that, like, especially right now in the time we're living in, like, waiting online. Or waiting for someone to give you the green light or permission yeah. to do the thing you want to do is not going to work out for mm-hmm. you. If you're waiting online, it means you would re- you're would you scared of doing the thing you're doing. And I need mm-hmm. to remind myself of this all the time. Mm-hmm. This is not like something I've conquered. Yeah. I'm constantly being like, why am I asking other people permission for something I can go out and do on my own? Yeah. And it's really liberating, though, to realize that, like, wait a minute. Like, that weird, cool idea I have, like, is totally doable Mm -hmm. with everything I have at my disposal right now. And I don't need some big movie star or some company or, you know, whatever. I need, like, a friend or two, maybe, to help me do it. But you can use your voice on the voiceover. You can, you know, you could use your friend's music. You can shoot anywhere basically on your phone and no one's really going to stop you so it's a you really can just jump in and do it yourself yeah this and starting is the hardest part right you have to just start and once you start it makes everything so much easier a friend of mine said something to me that was really helpful and and i feel like you amanda like embody this he was like uh there was a there have been a few points in time where I'm like, I don't know what, what kind of thing I'm supposed to be doing. Like, I know I love doing it, but like, yeah. w- especially after I made that short film, which like didn't seem to jive with my voice. Which one? The the the, the Garden of Eden film. Oh, okay. The one that never was. Uh, oh, okay. I'm still working on it, by the way. Literally, really? yeah. I do like That's work great. on it a little bit every year because I yeah. th- I do think there's something great in there, and I might not have been ready. Yeah. Then. I do. It is really good. And I will figure it out. Uh But he said to me, do what you can do fast without thinking about it. Like do whatever you can produce like quickly as opposed Mm -hmm. to like setting off to do something that like you, you don't know if you can do or you can't do that's going to take you like a million years to like figure it out. He's like, like beavers build dams. Yeah. Like you do what? Mm -hmm. And like clearly you you know, need to or want to or have the drive to, like, produce a painting or two, like, every day. Yeah. And that's what you can do. That's what comes out of you fast yeah. and quickly. Not that it's not hard, but it's just, like, that's what you can kind of keep on doing. Yeah. Like, consistency also yeah. is so important. And if you, right, if you are just consistent and persistent and just keep on, mm-hmm. like, doing it, like, it, things will come to you mm-hmm. as opposed to you... Not you knocking on doors like is not like if you're are if you have if you're pounding on doors trying to get in you're already on the losing end of a power struggle that you're yeah. not going to win yeah you basically have to like if you build it they will come yeah mentality yes 
Mm-hmm. And like the more you build it being like, fuck, fuck everyone who's like not into me doing this. I'm Or galleries just, in the art world. Right. I'm going to wear you down. Like, yeah. I'm just going to keep on making stuff until, like, you're forced to admit that, like, I'm here. Yeah. And that mentality, and that's, like, kind of Casey's mentality even more than I take forever to make one thing. Mm-hmm. But it's still, like, it's what comes out of me quickly. And that's what the Baldessari thing was. Like, the gun was to my head, and I had to figure it out. My friends kind of knew, they had a, a better idea of my voice than I did. Mm-hmm. And they kind of reflected that back to me. They were like, do what you do. And I didn't know what that was. But with the time pressure and my friends kind of like holding the guardrails mm-hmm. on me, I was able to like get that thing out. Yeah. And then realize that like I could, I had kind of been doing that before and now I'm going to continue doing it, but with like way more conscious of the fact that that's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And once you get to that point, I think as a quote unquote artist or maker of anything, mm-hmm. like you've hit some stride in your journey yeah where it's like okay this is what i'm supposed to be making because it's coming out of me like at at such a frequency and like everything i'm like everything i see and do is is contributing to the next Mm -hmm. thing i'm gonna make and you get in this like rhythm and momentum yeah and that i don't know yeah no that's exactly it that's exactly it and and i think sometimes the hard part for artists or creators is you want it to be perfect but that's the thing just put it out there because everything i mean the iphone everything starts with like a 1.0 and whatever you do it's just going to keep getting better and upgrading upgrading but it will never get better if you don't just start and do it Um, also like mm -hmm. your the imperfections are what make you you Mm -hmm. i mean with art fine art probably but with film like everything is so fucking polished and perfect and like with the drones now and like everyone's footage kind of looks the same and it Mm -hmm. runs together Mm -hmm. but if your stuff goes against that grain Mm -hmm. you know what i mean if you're if you kind of get beyond the beauty and just get into like the idea Mm -hmm. and and let it be a little rough or let it be a little ugly or a little punk or a little whatever like it'll stand out because it's not perfect yeah and that was a big lesson too the more perfect it is the the less it seems to have been made by a human being yeah a lot of digital art because that's that's the problem i have is like you know wanting everything i do to be perfect before i share it and it's something that i'm you know continually trying to work on you know it's hard. It, it's hard because I I really want my edits to be perfect yeah. before I put them on the internet. Because once they're up, they're up forever and there's no changing it. And I will go to a crazy... I'm going right now to a sound session to something I'd already done a, a sound mix on because I changed a few things. And it's like I've asked myself a hundred times whether I really need this this session, mm-hmm. but I can't live with it not being as perfect as it can. Yeah. But if you, but if you give into that impulse too much on everything, then you'll never, you'll never make stuff and put it out there. So it's like, yeah. you have to know when to, to follow that and know when not to. Yeah. yeah. Cause I was making these like short videos from Snapchat using 
doing yeah. characters and then editing them and putting them on Instagram. And they were doing really well. Like people were connecting with them and liking them. And I was having the greatest time doing them, but I would beat myself up over them all day, make, trying to make it perfect when, you know, they weren't supposed to be that. Right. They, they shouldn't have been that. Well, right. There's, there's kind of a, depending on the thing you're making, if it's a daily thing, then yeah. it's, it would not be fitting if it were like totally perfect. Like right. it needs to feel like you made it in a day. Right. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't feel like you made it in a day, then like you're cheating or it's mm-hmm. not real. Yeah. So yeah. it, I feel like the level of finishing needs to match your frequency. Yeah. If you're putting something out once a year, it better be perfect. Mm-hmm. And that's if that's what your audience or you're used to. But if you're putting something out once a day, then it can be rough. If you're putting something out once a week, it can be a little less rough, but it could, should still be rough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, all right, you want to do these really yeah, quick? Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, Amanda put a blast out on Instagram that you were coming in and to get some questions. First of all, a lot of people just saying, Max, I love you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but other than those, um, somebody asked, what is the biggest challenge that you ever faced? It's always myself. Uh huh. It's always just like wrestling with your own, why am I doing this? Is this any good at all? Yeah. Like, why am I taking so long? Uh-huh. I'm terrible. You know, it's it's always the internal voice. That's uh-huh. the hardest thing, and yep. that comes, that comes every time. Yep. There's no, there's not one time that 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 voice isn't there, like yep. potentially blocking you. Yeah. Um, did you go back to the bookstore hotel at uh in Portugal in Osos? In Obidosh. Uh, I did not go back to the, that, the, it's called the Literary Man Hotel, and uh-huh. I desperately want to. And Is that I'm, the one where in your camera? Yeah. You, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah I remember I'm that. definitely, like, like I want to yeah, take, yeah. like, a writing vacation there. Like, once I have something, like, I need to write, and I need yeah. some, like, time in isolation, I'm going to go, go there, there and do that. Yeah. Which actually might have to be soon. Um, like, that's a really good idea. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you to this person for asking. Yeah. Then. Um, somebody, I, I know we talked about this, but... Um, they wanted to know how you became friends with Neve. I mean, you kind of answered that, it. yeah. Um, and then I, I'll throw in a question actually, because we talked about like the thing that makes your videos you. But what were your inspiration? Because your style is so unique. Who are some of your inspirations? Do you, do you have them? Yeah, maybe? totally. Yeah. I mean, I have friends. My friend Pamela Litke, who oh, yeah. you met, she's an amazing photographer. Yeah. She's a big inspiration. Just like the way she approaches things, she just has like weird, cool ideas and doesn't try to intellectualize them or, uh-huh. or, or shoot them down, just kind of like follows them uh-huh. from her gut. And like they lead her to really cool places. That was really helpful. I mean, uh, Mike Mills, Beginners, that film obviously had a, a big bearing on mm-hmm. some of the things I've done, even though I was, I was doing similar stuff around then and before then, but like that film really spoke to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Kubrick kind of... Obviously. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's weird. I, I developed a lot of my quote unquote style from making these really informational text heavy videos for good magazine. Yeah. And like it came out of that and doing that a hundred million times. Right. And then realizing, wait a minute, what if I tried to tell 
a fictional story using the same tools? Or what if I expanded it? Because instead of just taking a boring, not boring, but like a dry subject and Mm -hmm. doing it, like what happens when I take another subject? Like what I love about bookstores in a way is that like, it's a it's a boring title, and like when you when I tell someone about it, like yeah, I'm making a movie about bookstores. They're like, great, good luck with that. Mm-hmm. But how can I take a, a a subject that's dry on the surface of it and use everything I've learned about taking dry things and storytelling and emotional storytelling and like and apply it to something that is not on the face of it like interesting? Yeah, and that is I feel like that's cool. Yeah. Like being yeah. able to take something cuz there are a lot of there are a lot of things like that that right. haven't been made. Right. Like there's a lot of material to mine. Well shit, if you can make books interesting, if you can make saving the rainforest interesting. Yeah. Like what else what other weird thing can you make interesting yeah. right. versus like making let's let's take we are your friends for example. Like sure. making the DJ world sexy is not that hard right it's all it already is sexy in fact it's so sexy that it's almost like that's the it's like the opposite problem right. yeah. you have to like make it le- like less sexy <laughs> right. in order yeah. to, for it to be real and like you know making an, th- anything with a gun is automatically sexy right mm-hmm. but how do you make something just as exciting without a gun mm-hmm. so uh, you know so there's a challenge there yeah when something's already sexy it's almost like I'm almost like less interested. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's the work is already done and yeah. anyone can do this. But mm-hmm. taking something that's like, that's not so obvious mm-hmm. and making it sing yeah. is really pleasing. Yeah, yeah, I loved about the bookstore, just the whole part of reading fat. Like just, I'm, I'm not even going to go into it because I don't want to give anything away, but I love it. I sent it to my family and I was like, you guys mm-hmm. have to watch this. It's yeah. so great. I'll end with this, I, yeah. this idea. So, you know, I, Dick starts out with this quote, which is that, like, uh, a writer needs a pen, a painter needs a brush, but a director needs an army. And that's the way it's been up until, I think, now. Because films have always had to be very big and wide in their... Um, and who they're addressing and, and who made them to a certain degree because it takes so much money and so many people and then therefore it needs to justify that money. It needs to hit an audience and mm-hmm. it needs to be, it can't be so personal. And of course there are amazing filmmakers who make really personal films with a crew and like I love them and hats off to them. But I do think that we're approaching a moment where like you can make really personal films that are made the way a a painter makes a painting or a writer writes a story. Like, Mm -hmm. it can just be you and the film. And and I think that we've just gotten there. And so I'm really interested in mining that new space. It's like, well, like, bookstores is just me taking something that I'm really anxious about and trying to figure it out. And because I don't have a crew or any people, it's like it's a lot easier for me to find a weird grope my way through it. Dix was the same way. Yeah, Dix is the same way, right. So it's like, I don't know, and there's something exciting to me about the fact that like now people can make these very personal films and what will those films look like and uh, is there a format? Will there be 
tropes and you know i don't know i think that it's a new evolution in in storytelling yeah or it can be and so and that i find that exciting yeah me too and that's like your sweet spot too so we're we're excited to see what you do next I feel like I did a lot of talking about myself, which no, is, is the point of this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it, it connected a lot for me when yeah. I saw when you were talking about just everything. I was like, oh, that's how he puts all the text and that's where he got yeah. this from. And that's where he. So it's been it's really, really cool great. to see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you leave, we're going to I'm going to go, go through your website and show. Yeah. Film and everything. Watching the I mean, oddly, making the Baldessari film was it was so intense and so grueling and so stressful as all projects are at the very end. But his work was so amazing uh-huh. as an artist. And like the, he wrote, I mean, his, one of his like key phrases that he's like famous for is like, I will not make any more boring art. I will not make boring art. Mm-hmm. And that's his like big thing. And like part of me when I was, making it is like, I don't want to make boring movies. And like, that doesn't mean I don't love watching boring movies. I love, I love a good boring movie, but Mm -hmm. I don't think I want to make boring movies in the way that he doesn't want to make boring art and, and how he made art and he's collaging stuff. And it's some of it's just simple ideas that are just beautifully executed. And it was just very liberating. Just the way working with Casey was liberating to be like, Oh, I'm making a video for Nike, but I don't need like a, a you know, $200,000 a day DP or like yeah. whatever. Um, there are these things that you learn that really liberate the way you think of approaching a project mm-hmm. and like getting to that point of liberation constantly is, is inspiring. And, and I think pushes you in a direction that only you can go in mm-hmm. versus doing something that everyone else is trying to do too. Yeah. Your work certainly like you've found your own path yeah. and are like trailblazing it and you're being like the best Amanda you can be every day as opposed to like you trying to be I don't know, Cindy Sherman yeah. or you know, some other yeah. famous artist like you're just being the best version of yourself and I think yeah. that that as an artist, like that's where you want to get to, right? Where you're just like competing with yourself yeah. and trying to like build on what you have been making as yeah. opposed to like copying someone else and just trying to, I don't know, compete with everyone else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think that's so important. Yeah. And then you'll find the audience will find you. I think a lot of people are just because of the fear of maybe people won't like it. They'll end up doing what other people are doing. But if you just, do what you're good at, you'll find an audience that will feel the same way. So, yeah. Yay, this is great. We love you, Maxie. <laughs> love you guys. Thank Thanks you. For Thanks coming. for coming in. This yeah. Was, this was great. Yeah, it was great for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>